Wow, what a big game this past Sunday. The Super Bowl definitely delivered, and we will, of course, touch on that here on the Chiefs Sun Podcast. My name is Farzim Vasugi, and thank you guys, as always, for downloading and listening to another edition of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Many of you already have, but if you haven't, if this is your first time listening, or if you haven't subscribed before, hit the subscribe button. A new episode will download into your iTunes library each and every time a new episode is available. You guys can also interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Farzine Vasugi. That's my Facebook page. Give that a like. You can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Uh, real, real quick note about the social media because, and, and I have more control of this with Facebook than uh, on Twitter, but a lot of times there are, there are topics where, you, I mean, look, I don't create Chiefs news, as you guys know. I, I mean, we talk about whatever news is out there. I mean, that's that's what I do with the social media pages. And there are, of course, other sports topics and sometimes other non-sports topics here and there. Here's the thing. Whatever topic I choose to put on my page, it's up to you as to whether or not you want to discuss it or not. And I have had a lot of people complain. And I shouldn't say a lot, but there have been a couple people. Sometimes it's the same people over and over again who, who just complain about certain topics that are being posted on the Facebook page. Here's the bottom line, and I understand some people don't listen to the podcast and they may not understand that this kind of corresponds with social media pages and the pages correspond with the podcast whatnot. Uh, bottom line, if you don't like a certain subject and if you're going to complain about it, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ban people because honestly I, I try to keep it very I try to keep it very relaxed on the Facebook page. I really do and I think anyone who's been posting on the page or interacting with me or other fans, we I try to make it a fun environment. I really do appreciate all the people who have had positive thing I mean they interact in a positive manner, I guess. Sure, we can all complain and disagree and whatnot, but if you're going to complain about what topics are being posted on the page, listen, uh, either dislike the page or I'll do you a favor and just ban you. That way you don't have anything from my, I guess, crappy posts on your news feed for Facebook. So, and again, I'm probably talking to just a couple people, a handful of people. For the most part, the Facebook page, I, I love the social media page. I've, I've had it for years and it's grown, of course, over the years. And I do appreciate all the support. If you guys can, be sure you guys do like the page, facebook.com slash Vasugian, and follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Vasugian. Let's have fun with it. That's what social media is about. You have fun with the discussions. Uh, you know, I, I hate the whole, how some people use social media with the, they, they just go on there to complain or, or, or brag about that their president won the election and whatnot. Uh, but anyway, we try to keep it chill and fun on the Facebook page. All right, I want to quickly set up the podcast and what's going to be happening in the next couple of weeks. Uh, this is going to be the last podcast for a bit. Uh, no podcast next week, preferably no podcast the following week, provided that no major Chiefs news occurs in the next couple of weeks or no major NFL news that would impact all 32 teams in some way. So uh, if something were to happen, and if it's a subject that I really need to address on the podcast and talk about it, uh, it would be a fairly sh- short show discussing just that piece of news. It wouldn't be a lot to cover, uh, so it'd be a short podcast. I- I'd like to take a bit of a break, as you guys know. I, I-, I was kind of a lot was going on in the beginning of the season. I was actually moving, and uh, didn't I-, I didn't actually get to see a lot of the 
uh, preseason. And even after I moved, there was still a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean, the whole moving process wasn't complete yet. And uh, I didn't get to follow the NFL as closely as, as much as I would have liked to. And part of that had to do with moving uh, beginning of the year or during football season when I say beginning of the year. But all that's, of course, uh, taken out of the way. I didn't do a lot of podcasts, actually, maybe just one or two last off season, But that'll definitely be different this time around. There, there will be more podcasts this off offseason. Uh, for right now, uh, I do want to take a bit of a break from the podcast and uh, go on a vacation for a week or two. So don't expect a podcast for a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll, we'll come back, what, uh, before the end of February, do another podcast as the as I'm sure you know that there will be some something to talk about with the off season, the the draft that'll be coming up in a couple of months. So a lot to cover when we come back from the podcast. This is going to be the last podcast for a couple of weeks. A lot to talk about on this show. The Super Bowl. Wow, one. Listen, here's my thing with the Super Bowl. This is this to me described why I think we all love the game of football and more importantly the Super Bowl. I'm going to go over some of the NFL awards and the Pro Football Hall of Fame, some Chiefs news last week uh, that came out after last week's podcast regarding Eric Berry, and also some Chiefs news that came out on Thursday afternoon. John Dorsey had a press conference with the media on Thursday, a lot was covered in that press conference that we will definitely talk about here on this podcast. And then to close out, some people just act like idiots, and I'll get to that later on in the podcast. But first, the Super Bowl. Unbelievable. How well, what word would you use to describe that Super Bowl? Listen, uh, you can hate Tom Brady, you can hate Bill Belichick, you can hate the Patriots, you can hate Boston sports fans all you want. This franchise really does deserve a ton of respect from everybody. And uh, even the casual football fan or, or someone who doesn't even care about football, everyone can still tell you who Tom Brady is and what he's accomplished over the years. You know, he's married to a, a supermodel. People can at least come up with five facts about Tom Brady, football fan or not. This is a guy who's accomplished so much in his tenure with the Patriots. This franchise, under the same head coach and quarterback, have created history. Most regular season wins with 180. Most postseason wins with 22. Most Super Bowl appearances with 7 and winning five of them. First ever 16-0 season. Almost went 19-0. All of these are NFL records. It's been an incredible 17-year run and counting. And by the way, all these records broken. This also includes when Brady played just one game in 2000 as a rookie and missed all Almost all of 2008 because of a torn ACL he suffered against the Chiefs. So this has been a crazy 17-year run, which includes the two years he barely played his rookie year and the season he tore his ACL. Now this franchise owns the title for best comeback game in Super Bowl history. And by the way, funny note, 
Near the end of the first half, Brad Gagnon from Bleacher Report, uh, he tweeted that the Patriots in their seven Super Bowls with Brady and Belichick have they have been outscored by a score of 157 to 138. <laughs> That's because every Patriots Super Bowl game, win or lose, has come down to the wire. All of their games, uh, every single Super Bowl they have been a part of have been decided by one possession. Nonetheless, they overcame that 21-0 deficit. It was 21-3 at halftime, so it was a 25-point deficit uh, in the second half. And look, even the biggest Patriots homer couldn't use Brady's history of comebacks to feel optimistic that there was still a shot at this game. So many people th- thought this game was over. I even wrote game on, on Twitter, which, uh, of course, that's basically indicating that you feel like the game is over. And the reason I felt that way, no, even still knowing what Tom Brady's accomplished in the past with comebacks, I said to myself, look, this is the highest scoring NFL team this year, and one of the highest scoring NFL offenses we've seen in NFL history. You've got Matt Ryan as your NFL MVP. I just don't see Brady. I, I, I could see Brady manufacturing some yardage and some points with this offense, but I could also see Matt Ryan and, and the Falcons offense continuing to score continuing to light up the scoreboard and that did not happen for a team that's one of the highest scoring offenses in NFL history they didn't show up in the second half the Patriots cruised their way while cutting this deficit they outscored the Falcons 25 to 0 in the fourth quarter and overtime. And by the way, speaking of the fourth quarter and the overtime period, which by the way, this is the first Super Bowl uh, that went to overtime. In the last two Super Bowls that the Patriots have been a part of, uh, this one being against the Falcons and uh, two years ago against the Seahawks, the Patriots outscored the Falcons and the Seahawks by a score of 39 to 0. In the fourth quarter and overtime periods combined. They overcame a multi-possession deficit in the fourth quarter of both of those games. Trailing by 10 entering the fourth quarter against the Seahawks. And trailing by oh God knows how much when people thought it was over against the Falcons. Here's a turning point. And this is... There are two things I'm going to point out that not many people are talking about. when it comes. Everyone's just talking about how the Patriots came back. And that Tom Brady is a go, which is true. But here's a turning point to me. Tom Brady was sacked five times. So was Matt Ryan. Ryan was also sacked five times. But nobody's talking about the fact that Matt Ryan got sacked five times. People are still talking about how Brady was sacked five times and had to overcome all those sacks in that interception that went all the way back for a touchdown. People are talking about that. The two biggest sacks of the game that happened, happened on Matt Ryan, not on Tom Brady. One was the sack, Dante Hightower forcing the fumble, which translated into a touchdown by the offense, plus the two-point conversion, making it 28-20. to And I, I've heard everyone talk about how that was the turning point, that as soon as it was 28-20, everyone just knew that they were going to tie it up and at the very least force overtime or win before the end of regulation. Now, here is my key as to why the Patriots won this football game. 
and I have not heard a lot of people really talk about this. So again, people are just talking about the the actual comeback, the, the the fact that Brady did his thing. But the defense, and I understand that the Patriots in these seventeen years, who, who's the talk of the town? Tom Brady. You, you know, it's funny. I talked to a, a radio host in Miami once when I had my student radio show over at KU. Uh, I had a guy from Miami. I was on his show talking about the Chiefs once, and I said, hey, as a favor, could you come on my show, uh, which he was he, very happy to do. And I kind of asked him, because as a KU fan, I was curious. With Mario Chalmers being on the Miami Heat at the time when LeBron James was also there, I said, look, I, I get it. You've got the big three with LeBron and, of course, D. Wade and Bosh. But what about a guy like Mario Chalmers, who's had a hand in, in Miami's success? Obviously not a big hand like the big three. But how much does he get talked about? And he said, not a lot. Yeah, I mean, in the media, they recognize him as a, as a, as a key player. But still, at the end of the day, it's all about LeBron James and the rest of the big three in Miami. Or at least at the time, that was a, that was a talk. With the Patriots, nobody talks so much about the defense. Yeah, sure, you've had guys like Teddy Bruschi, Ty Law, Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, uh, Mike Vrabel. So many great defensive events. Wilfork, so many great defensive players over the years. But who gets all the glory each and every single time on a dominant team, especially a team that wins the Super Bowl? The quarterback. Even last year when Peyton Manning had an awful season, Peyton Manning was the talked-about guy. Even though Von Miller got the MVP, they still had Peyton Manning on the stage. Why? Because he's the quarterback. You've, and of course, he's also Peyton Manning. That's another thing that had to do with it. But this is this is a, a Pats team that's really all people talk about is the quarterback, not the defense. And in this game, the defense kind of came through. And had it not been for that defense, they might have not won the Super Bowl. So late in the fourth quarter, the, this to me was a huge key turning point. With three minutes to go, second and 11 at New England's 23, Matt Ryan got sacked, lost 12 yards. So they're still within field goal range. They're at the 35-yard line. But on third and 33, they get a nine-yard gain on a pass. But a holding penalty pushes them back to the 45. So on third and 33... They pass, and it's incomplete. Or pardon me, third and 43, I should have said. So they pass, and it's incomplete. So the Falcons go from having a realistic chance of, at the very least, getting a chip shot field goal to having to punt, and eventually allowing the tie. That, to me, is why... The Falcons lost this game, and it's kind of shocking because Kyle Shanahan, who's now the head coach of the 49ers, the offensive coordinator for the for the Falcons, and now was also named Assistant of the Year. All he had to do was run the football, kill some clock, you know, center it if center the football if you want to. Just don't lose yards on this one. Just try to go forward, even if it's just one or two yards. You're still within field goal range. Kick the field goal, boom! You're up by ten. With possibly close to two minutes, maybe even under two minutes to go. But instead, the Falcons got too creative, and this is when Andy Reid gets criticized for time and time again. They got too creative, kind of 
didn't take it seriously. And then they allow the game-tying touchdown with the two-point conversion. The Washington Post also noted something interesting. The Patriots ran 93 plays. The Falcons' defense, they've played an average of around 60 snaps per game. So essentially, the, the defense for the Falcons played a game and a half on the field. And here's my thing with this. I, I think it's, I mean, what if you just happen to have, let's, hypothetically speaking, from if a team starts from the 20 or 25 and they march all the way to the, to the red zone, the opposing team's red zone, and, and come within striking distance, essentially, that's probably a good six to seven minutes, almost half of a quarter. So if an offense goes six, seven minutes, and if there's a pick six, a 100-yard interception ran back for a touchdown, and then on the next drive, obviously the defense is tied because they're still on the field, I mean, the only break they get is the extra point and then the kickoff. And if the defense or if that offense goes on another long drive, and if they get if they get an interception, let's say they don't take it back again for a touchdown. Let's say the offense just happens to get a lucky ninety or eighty yard touchdown play on on uh, one one a one play drive. Really, your defense is going to be back on the field in just a matter of moments again. But to me, I, see, the science of that is kind of crazy. And again, I'm not a football coach, so I, I don't have the answers to this. But mentally speaking, you would think that even though uh, if you were to allow a long drive but get a pick six, and if your offense gets a one-play drive for a touchdown, if and that forces the defense to be on the field for so long. But if you're up by a big score, you're getting these defensive touchdowns and one-play drives to score touchdowns on offense. I feel like mentally, who cares if you're physically tired? If you're physically on the field for so long, you're up by a big score. And I feel like that could kind of erase the the physical toll of being on the field for so long. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Look, I, I, I'm not saying it's easy to be on the field for that long. But what I am saying is, at least from a defensive perspective, perhaps ostensibly speaking, maybe the defense just feels pretty good about themselves. They're up big. They got a a touchdown of their own. And again, I'm just making up a scenario here. So to me, I was kind of surprised. But but look, I think you could, the made-up scenario I'm talking about, you could say the same thing about this Falcons game. The Falcons were up 14-0. An interception by Brady goes all the way back for a touchdown. It's 21-0. Obviously, with a pick six, your defense is going to be right back on the field. So, they're not getting a whole lot of rest. Uh, Some of them even play on the uh, kickoff coverage team. So, uh, to me, I can understand playing 93 snaps uh, on defense. That's no easy task. You're going to be rotating a lot of defensive players throughout the game if your defense is on the field for 93 snaps and if you're losing time of possession. So to me, I was kind of surprised, and that was a really good note by the Washington Post as to why the Falcons lost this football game. Now here's my last thing with the the Patriots, all right? Whether they beat the Rams, the Panthers, the Eagles, the Seahawks, or the Falcons— or losing to the Giants twice, the Patriots have been involved in what arguably might be among the 
top 10 or 15 most exciting Super Bowls ever. In their seven Super Bowls, going five and two, those seven Super Bowls have all come down to the wire. So listen, give this Pats team some respect. I know what everyone's going to say, Spygate and Deflategate, you can only cheat for so long and just keep having the the whole Spygate thing, knowing hand signals doesn't mean you know exactly what is going to happen on the field. As far as Deflategate, look, um, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm a Patriots hater like everyone else. But listen, man, the Colts players even admitted after the fact, after that report came out that the Patriots still earned that win, that they blew them out in the AFC title game, and that this is no excuse to lose. Uh, I personally think there is not enough evidence for this whole Deflategate situation. I mean, the referees are getting the football, and they placed them on the line of scrimmage each play. So, honestly, I think if something was wrong right there, I think we would have known uh, right away. Uh, I still think this is uh, this is something that the investigation may never end, uh, and there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions as to why this even became a thing. It, my point is, a team cannot just cheat their way to seven Super Bowls and win five of them, and go to however many AFC title games they went to. Even some of the play calls have been astounding. Such as that two-point conversion when Brady jumped and acted as if there was a high snap and the running back runs it in for a two-point score. The fake QB kneel right at the end of regulation. It may come off as mean and classless, but look, it's legal. And the Patriots actually got some yardage out of that. I actually thought they were going to go and score right, and, and that's how the Super Bowl would have ended. What a what a crappy way to complete a comeback. Maybe not for Boston sports fans, but as a just as a as a consumer, as a viewer, as a spectator, I would have said, "Man, the Falcons lost." Because first of all, it's I, I keep laughing how the Falcons lost to the Chiefs because they scored a touchdown to take the lead and then lost because they took the lead. I mean, it doesn't get funnier than that. Unless they would have lost on a fake QB kneel to allow a big run, which almost happened. So listen, personal overview of of the Patriots. uh, They've accomplished so much. And listen, if... I've been fortunate. I was in fifth grade when they won their first Super Bowl. So I, I have a fairly vivid memory of all seven Super Bowls that the Patriots have been a part of and they've been a lot of fun to watch and if you've also been fortunate enough to witness all seven or at least a majority of them I know we've got some younger people listening to the podcast uh, you've been in for a treat because we really are seeing some of the best and I really truly hope even if your team's not in the the World Series or the NBA Finals or the Super Bowl, whatever the game is, I hope you still watch because today in sports, we really do have some major icons like Tom Brady, LeBron James, a couple other athletes that, listen, when they're in the big game, you have to watch because you know some history is going to be made, especially when a big-name player like LeBron or Brady are in these championship games. Personally, for me, I said that earlier on the podcast, and I'll say it again. This Super Bowl, it reminded me why I love the sport so much, and why so many of us do as well. 
And now there are also some non-big football fans, some casuals and non-football fans that I think for them, they also realize why they love the Super Bowl. Because everyone's watching, and when I say everyone, I'm referring to the non-football fans or the casuals. They're watching for the commercials and the Lady Gaga halftime show. But look, I mean, in order to watch all of those, they've also got to get through the game. So even those non-football fans got into this game. For me, and listen, I'll say this about commercials, because every you can talk to 100 people about Super Bowl commercials, and you will probably get 100 different opinions on this. Regardless what you think, whether they're getting worse, whether you still think they're hilarious, or you just don't care, a lot of people, you know, they're up getting a beer, or using the restroom, or they're doing something else while there's a commercial, so they don't catch every single commercial. That's fine. But there are still, there's at least... One or two commercials. You you look at you dig it. You still think they're pretty cool. Some people dig all the commercials. The halftime show. Listen, so many people are watching, and even if you have no real interest in the game, nor the halftime show, nor the commercials, people still watch this thing because. They don't want to miss out on an event that just about everyone else is watching. You don't want to be that guy in the office that didn't watch the Super Bowl and everyone else is talking about it. And there you are, the loser who who didn't watch the game because who knows what you were doing. You, you just decided not to watch that. And by the way, I've got to admit one thing. I've always been curious. What do other television networks air during the Super Bowl? As a Walking Dead fan, I know AMC just puts reruns they actually do a walking dead marathon and they they air old episodes so it's not like you're missing anything new uh and i actually flipped over to es to a couple of the espn channels and as well as fox sports just to see what are what are other networks airing because obviously they can't expect anyone to be watching their show all the nba and nhl games happen earlier in the day because they don't want it to interfere same with college sports they don't want it to interfere with the super bowl so, I flipped over real quickly, and, and you may not know this, but they're really just re- airing marathons of 30 for 30 until the expected time when the Super Bowl will end. The only sports network that actually had something going on was NFL Network, and they had a couple of analysts there just, just talking about the game. And listen, I would rather actually watch the game than watch analysts discuss it. So, I don't know how how, how many viewers they had during that time. Maybe NFL Network should be airing... Uh, you know, maybe a marathon of, of football life, kind of like what ESPN did with Thirty for Thirty. So, uh, I mean, it's 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 the Super Bowl. No one's going to compete with it. It's already it's already deemed as uh, one of the, or, or not one of the, I should say. I take that back. The most watched Super Bowl. And on top of that, by the way, props to everyone in Kansas City. Kansas City was 16th uh, among all markets for most viewers. So that's pretty nice to see. That's good to see Kansas City, a, a, a place that's considered flyover city, um, maybe not a big ma- major market. It's not. It's certainly not a New York, L.A., or Chicago. But listen, man, I think Kansas City is really growing as a market, and it's pretty cool. Just to see, you know, we've gotten a couple of all-star games for Major League Soccer and Major League Baseball. Of course, we've had six World Series games in Kansas City in 2014 and 2015. Uh, so hopefully we get more of that. Hopefully we can get the draft because they're do- they're doing the draft in different cities now. 
Maybe the Super Bowl. Hey, we've seen it in a cold city before. And Arrowhead, I know Arrowhead used to be a top five stadium when it came to attendance. But now with all these new built stadiums and how they have so many seats in their big city-of-the-art stadiums, Arrowhead might not be even in the top ten soon. Uh, But hey, look, it's still one of the better stadiums in the NFL. It's in the heart of America. So uh, hopefully those opportunities come. And I think uh, when you see numbers like that for ratings... Here in Kansas City, I think you're pretty impressed by that. I know even the World Series, uh, they all, the, in Kansas City, there's always a strong turnout, even before the whole Royals craziness happened. So it's great to see. I'm really happy to see that for uh, for Kansas City. And again, the Super Bowl, just a, a scenic and iconic event, and there isn't anything better than it. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of glad it's the off season, especially since I can go on a little bit of a break with the podcast, but... Uh, it, it I, I at the same time I miss it. I, I miss football season already, and I think this Super Bowl just makes you miss the season already. The way it ended, perfect ending to the season. All right, as you guys know, the NFL awards took place on Saturday before the Super Bowl. Uh, awards were announced. I mentioned a couple of them with Matt Ryan winning the MVP, Kyle Shanahan winning the Assistant of the Year, and of course the Pro Football Hall of Fame was announced. So let's go over that right now and just kind of my takeaways here. Uh, five notes that I've made that I want to discuss here uh, about regarding the NFL awards. Number one, how it, did Dak Prescott win Rookie of the Year, yet Ezekiel Elliott earned more MVP votes than Dak Prescott? That doesn't add up to me. I want to get to the Rookie of the Year award in a moment. And look, I, I get that the top two guys, I think, easily were Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. They're the only ones who received votes. For Offensive Rookie of the Year. But with Dak Prescott winning over Ezekiel Elliott. However, Ezekiel Elliott got more MVP votes than Dak Prescott. That didn't add up to me. Not quite sure how really that worked out. Maybe because of his position. But even then, still, I guess for MVP, look, quarterbacks are always favored. You're never going to see a nose tackle or a punter win the award. Uh, You know, I said punter. Realistically speaking... Sure, you, you you won't see a Von Miller, even the even the defensive player of the year kind of guy. You won't see those guys win the MVP. Maybe they get a vote or two, but they they just don't. They're they're not in the running. And look, Ezekiel Elliott's a running back. It's not like he had a long shot. So I'm just a little confused there. I'm not quite sure how that worked out, but uh, it, it happened the way it happened. Uh, Khalil Mack, he beat Von Miller for Defensive Player of the Year by one vote. That vote is going to be worth millions of dollars for Khalil Mack. Now, he won't be a free agent for two more years, or at least his contract's not up for two more years, but that one vote is money in the bank for him, especially if he continues to play at a high level like this. That one vote is enough leverage for Mac's life uh, to improve financially. He's going to have some leverage. He and his his agent, they're going to talk to the Raiders owners and say, hey, look, we deserve a new deal. He won Defensive Player of the Year. Doesn't matter by how many votes, because at the end of the day, you have the award. And look, for Von Miller, no sweat. He already cashed in big with his contract payday a couple of years ago. Uh, and even if he won 
the Defensive Player of the Year award, he, he wouldn't get a new contract. He's already getting a big payday. He's under contract through 2021. By the way, worth noting, Eric Berry did receive one vote for Defensive Player of the Year. Offensive Rookie of the Year, I said I'd go back to this. Only Dak and Ezekiel Elliott got votes. I get it. However, there is no way that Tyreek Hill deserved to go unnoticed here. He was third in the NFL in reception. Um, this is among rookies, by the way. Third in receptions, fifth in receiving yards, fourth in receiving touchdowns, also was 12th in rushing yards. That includes Dak Prescott being in front of him by one. And he was also seventh in rushing touchdowns. All of them, by the way, off just 24 rush attempts. Now, maybe if he was playing a lot earlier in the year, perhaps maybe his numbers would have been even better. And again, like I said, I get it came down to those two Cowboys, and it makes for a better story. Look, the, the Offensive Rookie of the Year award, it came down to two players on the same team. The quarterback and the running back, the most, the one and two most prominent positions on offense. So they, they were probably the only two worth voting for, but if there had to be a third candidate, there is no way it's not Tyree Kill. I mean, you have to have considered him for a third option for Offensive Rookie of the Year. I just feel like he was that good this season. Coach of the Year, Jason Garrett, well-deserved. Uh, I, I, I think it, it should have gone to... Well, I, I would have voted for Jack Del Rio, and I'll get to that in a moment. But hey, look, Jason Garrett, uh, he took a 4-12 and Cowboys team uh, from last year, and the team exploded with Offensive Rookies, as we just mentioned. Adam Gase, the Dolphins head coach, finished third and I look he I don't feel like he was that great yeah sure the the Dolphins got in but uh, Jack Del Rio finishing only he got fourth and he got only four votes that's asinine this was a team that went almost winless two years ago uh they did not finish above 500 last year but they finished above 500 this year for the first time in 14 years Facebook wasn't even a thing with the last time the Raiders were in the playoffs or finished above 500. So, to me, it was shocking that Jack Del Rio was fourth on this list because, to me, he is the coach of the year this season. And I think uh, Jason Garrett is a very close second. Perhaps some would say Jason Garrett barely gets it over Jack Del Rio because he had to work with a rookie QB and a rookie running back. I I I can take that. I could take that argument because... It's no easy task to do what the Cowboys did this year with the young talent they had on the offensive side of the football. Also worth noting, Andrew Reid earned a vote for Coach of the Year. Probably the same person who, who uh, voted for Barry. I don't know. By the way, I was shocked that Dan Quinn was not on here. He did not receive a single vote, but after that Super Bowl collapse, perhaps we know why. And I didn't really say this, but the Falcons should be ashamed of themselves the way they allowed that to happen. Look, I get it's Tom Brady, but that's not a good enough excuse to allow a a, a big comeback like that. No way. Last thing, uh, running back Terrell Davis made the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He played from 1995 to 2001, so just seven years, and only four of them were good years. He had a 2K yard season, but Priest Holmes had a slightly longer career. At one point, he had the rushing record for rushing touchdowns, I should say. The record for most touchdowns in a season on the ground. Jamal Charles, in an era where it's a pass-heavy heavy QB-driven league, he could go to Kenton. So when it comes down to 
yards per rush attempt in a career. Charles has a five and a half higher than Jim Brown and behind Mike Vick, Randall Cunningham, and Mario Motley. Listen, Holmes and Davis each have a 4.6 career yard per rush attempt. Also, Terrell Davis, Terrell Owens didn't make it in. Uh, You know, that's to me. Here's the thing: everybody can get quote unquote snubbed. People kept talking about how Will Shields was snubbed, but that's because you're a Chiefs fan and you say that. Eventually, he got in. It took him what just a couple of years. So Terrell Owens, I'm shocked he wasn't in, but he will get in. No one's going to be remembered what year they got in. You're going to be remembered for getting in, bottom line. But as far as Priest Holmes and Jamal Charles go, listen, if Terrell Davis, who was a top five running back for just four years, if he can get in, there was no doubt in my mind, before I did not think this way, but now I do, there was no doubt in my mind that Priest Holmes and Jamal Charles are both going to Canton one day. And I hope it doesn't take him that long. It took Terrell Davis just a couple of years as an eligible guy, and he got in. So truly, I really do think Jamal Charles and Priest Holmes will go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Speaking of Chiefs possibly going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I kind of wanted to dedicate a segment about possible current Chiefs who could be Hall of Famers. Now, Jamal Charles, we went over it. I think he gets in. Travis, By the way, here's my thing with Hall of Fame players. I think if you're a top five guy at your position during the era you played in, if you're a top five guy for about five or six years, I think that's more than enough to get in. Yeah, sure, you've got guys like Jerry Rice and Joe Montana who were the best during their almost their entire career as a player. So yeah, those guys will get in early, but I think at some point, these players that I'll mention, they'll get in. Travis Kelsey, I think he gets in. He's been a top five tight end for the past three years, and I don't see him declining. I think he will continue to play at this at this rate. Uh, being among one of the best tight ends in the last seven games, five of them he finished with more than 100 receiving yards. Tyreek Hill, this is obviously a little too early to tell, but listen... Uh, the Darren Sproles and Dante Halls of the world, the Devin Hessers of the world, Josh Cribbs, uh, they're very unique football players. They're not down-for-down down offensive football players because they also have responsibilities on special teams and coaches want to keep them fresh for those duties as well because they're so great at it. But here's the thing. They excel on special teams, and even though they're not down-for-down down offensive snap guys, they are honestly more dangerous than some of the top five wide receivers or running backs. Because of their breakaway speed and just the home run hitters they can be. Darren Sproles, man, I'll tell you what. And I'm not saying this because he's an Olathe native. But that playoff game he had when he was a member of the Chargers against the Colts. Winning in overtime. I mean, the Chargers could have easily settled for a field goal. But no, they just wanted to keep pounding the rock, and they kept giving it to Darren Sproles. He kept running it, eventually got the game-winning touchdown. And this was before the uh, the overtime rule was changed. This was this was sudden death. But no, the Chargers wanted that touchdown, and Darren Sproles landed on the cover of Sports Illustrated right after he did that, which was awesome. So I think that, to me, that was a nice career-defining moment for Darren Sproles on special teams and on offense. 
Tyreek Hill, he did some great things on offense this year and doing it really when he was honestly used on offense for more the second half of the season. So to me, if he can improve and play at this rate, and again, this is very hypothetical because even the best return players that we've seen, guys like Dante Hall and Devin Hester, they were only good for a couple of years. So we know the special teams return position, kick returners and punt returners, their high level of success only lasts for three, four, maybe five years. So, we, I mean, we, we saw Devin Hester shoot up right away, but we also saw him decline quickly too. Same with Dante Hall. I mean, Dante Hall didn't get going, get, get going until his third or fourth year. Uh, you know, he, he, he was scoring touchdowns his third, fourth, and fifth seasons. I don't think he had a special teams touchdown his sixth. Actually, I think he did. When he was a member of the Rams, he did have a punt return touchdown. Uh, he had one with the Rams his first year with the Rams after being traded. But uh, he wasn't as dominant still at the time. So my thing with Tyreek Hill, if he keeps this dominance up throughout his career, and he had three special teams touchdowns, two more, but they were called back because of offensive holding, this is a guy who I think could, at the end of his career, be the best return man in NFL history. Again, that's, of course, if he keeps it up. We know that in this position, that success doesn't last your entire career. So we'll see how long that goes on for. But if he can do that, and if he continues to contribute the way he does on the way he did on offense, doing so the rest of his career, I don't see why he can't be a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Switching to the defensive side, Justin Houston, Tom Bahali, look. Uh, this is pretty self-explanatory. They've been in the top five at their position for, for a while now. Tom Bahali, uh he definitely got better as a 3-4 outside linebacker. Justin Houston, he came one sack away from beating Michael Strahan's sack, single-season sack record. So, I mean, and again, these guys have been dominant at their positions. Even when they, even when Justin Houston, when he suffered some injuries the past couple of years, or maybe he didn't play half of this year, he still was a Pro Bowl alternate for the Chiefs. So there's no doubt in my mind that Justin Houston and Tom Bahali are going to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Derek Johnson, another guy who's been in the top five at his position for the past few years, uh, I think this is another guy, again, self-explanatory that he gets in. D Ford, I think this is interesting here. I, I think he's kind of in the maybe bubble with Tyreek Hill. Uh, this is a guy who, look, we saw some good things from him this year. If he can keep that up throughout the rest of his career, and he's probably going to be getting more snaps next season and, and, and so on, but if he keeps that up, like the 11 sacks we saw from him, then this is a guy who's going to be at, at the top five at his position, and eventually that'll translate into being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. Marcus Peters, also early to tell, but... From what we've seen so far, he's on his way to a Pro Football Hall of Fame career. Plenty of interceptions to start off his career, and he improved a lot this year when it came to trying to actually defend wide receivers. He's got 14 interceptions in his two years as an NFL player. And again, that's pretty impressive. He had eight his first year, 
and six this past year. Now, he was pretty quiet with his hands during the second half of 2016, but still, uh, I think that was a product of quarterbacks passing away from him this year. He was a much better player when it came to defending receivers, a more, a more of a lockdown cornerback, and whenever QBs tried to challenge him, he made him pay for it. Last but not least, Eric Berry. Uh, this is a guy who's definitely getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he's been in the top five each time he's played a full season. Now, keep in mind, Eric Berry, he's been in the league for, what, seven seasons now? Yeah, seven seasons. Drafted in uh, 2010, just completed 2016, so that's seven years. Eric Berry... He was he suffered that torn ACL in 2011 on the on the first quarter of the season, and then in 2014 he had some injuries early on, and then of course uh, had to step away from the game because uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And throughout his time there, as as, as a player so far, in the seven years he's played. Two of them, he's uh, one season was cut short. The other, kind of an off season, and and of course, what we know about his health, he's played five full seasons, and he's been a top five safety in all of those five years. I think even if Eric Berry's career ended now, which oh, I mean, hopefully not, but even if if he decided to retire right here, right now, there's no doubt in my mind he is eligible to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The things that he has done as a safety, I think it's up there. I mean, he he's made the Pro Bowl every year he's played a full season. He just has. And speaking of Eric Berry, uh, some news that came out after last week's podcast was released. Uh, I won't touch on it too much. Uh, I'll, I'll get into it a little later. But uh, he did tell NFL Network during the latter part of Super Bowl week last week that he does not want to play under the franchise tag for a second year in a row. He wants a long-term deal in Kansas City. You've got to, you've got to pay him the money. I mean, he deserves it. He single-handed really wasn't doing much in uh, the whole Carolina game and in the second half of that Atlanta game. And along with sweeping the Raiders. Plus the Derek Carr injury, which, of course, you know, those were major factors and why the Chiefs won the AFC West. Without Eric Berry, I don't think you win the AFC West. I think you probably settle with 9 or 10 wins. And this season, maybe that might have not been enough to make it into the playoffs. Now, if negotiations aren't going so well, if they go south, tag him. And you might as well trade him at that point because, you, first of all, don't let him walk this season. There, there are some teams that I'm sure are going to give up a lot for him. But to be honest, I don't think if he is tagged. By the way, Eric Berry would make fifties for 2017s. Now you take the top five players at that position, and they will. You take the mean salary of those top five guys, the average, and that is what the tagged player will make. So for Eric Berry. Uh, last year he got 10.8 under the tag. This year he would, he would make $8 million. So uh, I don't want to get too much into that. Uh, I'm actually going to get into it later because John Dorsey did have a press conference on Thursday and the Eric Berry subject was brought up. And there's some encouraging news that I'll get to with the Eric Berry topic later on. But for right now, I do want to touch on this for a moment because there are a lot of rumors as to where Tony Romo could go for 2017. And 
for Tony Romo. And I'm going to say this now. And I know I'm, I might come off like strong for 2017 for the Chiefs. He's been injured the, pa- the past couple of years. Right now, I mean, if we're being realistic, Tony Romo and Jamal Charles are... It's just, you know, who, who, can, who can come back stronger? And for me, if you keep Jamal Charles and bring in Tony Romo, listen, man, with Tony Romo, this is a guy who he, he just can't take a hit. And quite honestly, the year he he had the, uh, I can't remember what it was. Uh, gosh, it, it kind of frustrates me right now not being able to re- remember the name, but the, uh, the injury he had, I think it was a broken collarbone. That he had against these 10. When he came back from injury. Got injured right, right away. So for me. I just have this big concern of whether or not. So to me. Personally. I would want to. So he's going to be pricey. And you're, you're. I mean look. If Nick Foles option gets picked up. And part ways with him. And not suffer a big cap hit. Uh, so that that's of course an option, but to me, look who's the better football player, Tony Romo or Alex Smith? I'm not gonna. This is not a debate. It's of course Tony Romo, a much better chance to win a Super Bowl with Romo. But if we're just talking overall gameplay, yeah, that's one thing. But health is also a huge factor. Listen, I think there are so many great players in all of sports who have had the potential to be some of the best. Uh, players, but injuries have derailed so many great potential careers, uh, and it, it's been a shame. I think Tony Romo, we're kind of seeing that right now, where uh, you're just not going to see anything. What else are you going to get from him? I mean, he can barely take a hit, and even if you have the Dick Vermeil offensive, and uh, I'm kind of concerned as to whether or not Tony Ro- Tony Romo right now is Brody options are Brody Croyle or Tony Romo. I'm going to say flip a coin because the idea Brody Croyle was fragile. You just touch the guy. He goes down with an injury. And Tony Romo is kind of going through the same thing. I mean, he can't take a hit. So to me, I think it's in Kansas City's best interest to stay away from Romo. And if, if they really want a quarterback, go through the draft. You guys already know my thoughts on this. I've said this the past few podcasts. So I think John Dorsey and the rest of the Chiefs front office, I think they there are better options. I know there's not a lot, especially with free agency. This is definitely a, a crappy class of QBs th- th- this year, but I think John Dorsey and company can look elsewhere for quarterbacks. Speaking of John Dorsey, he had a press conference, a teleconference on Thursday talking to the media, and uh, there was a lot discussed. I had four big takeaways from what he talked about. First off, there was a rumor that he could have returned to Green Bay and take the general manager job that could have been open if Ted Thompson were to step down. Not the case. He was asked about that, and he ended up saying that he's actually enjoyed his time in Kansas City, and he actually wants to stay in Kansas City for a very long time. From my family's perspective, on mine, both professionally and personally, this has been the greatest four years of my life. I love this city. I love this team. I love this community. I think this is one of the most stable franchises in the National Football League. I think that leadership starts with the top. I think the relationship that Mark Donovan, myself, and Andy have and Clark, it's awesome. 
If you're a Chiefs fan and you hear that, you have to feel great about what you just heard because Scott Pioli was a far more coveted and bigger candidate for a GM job at the time than John Dorsey was a couple of years ago before he came to Kansas City. So, you know, I think the things that you're hearing from John Dorsey, you would have expected for Scott Pioli to say, and, you know, it's it's disappointing to see how that regime turned out very horrible. Uh, but this has been an incredible four years. I mean, Scott Pioli was in Kansas City for four years. John Dorsey just completed his fourth year. And I know these chief seasons, the endings we've seen having on the way, we wanted them to, to end, especially after some of these magnificent starts the Chiefs have had. But, you know, for the Chiefs, They've found a way to really make this football team relevant. They're still, even though they haven't won a championship yet, they're still moving towards the right direction, something Scott Pioli never did during his time here in Kansas City. And for him to say that he wants to be here long-term, that's great. Uh, I mean, he was also talking about how he wants to see his his son, Jack, who's five or six years old, uh, he, he wants to see him graduate from high school here in Kansas City. Uh, but it, for those who may remember... Four years ago, during his introductory press conference, his son was two at the time, one or two, and he started crying during a press conference. And his his wife got up and, and took him to the hallway because you know there are reporters there. There's a press conference going on, and uh, when he was answering a football question uh, about you know long hours and staying up, he joked, you know, hey, look, I've, I've got a I've got a baby who's crying, of course. So uh, he, of course, alluded to that's who he's referring to, just to give you guys an idea. That's Jack. That's his son. Essentially, he wants to be the GM uh, until his son's time in, in school in Kansas City is over, which if he does, I mean, if that's all, if that's, if, if everything's going fine and well, John Dorsey's going to be here for at least 12 more years. If you're going to tell me we're going to have 12 more years of this, awesome. There have been great drafts under John Dorsey. We, I mean, we, we've seen first-round draft picks and even late, later-round draft picks make it to the Pro Bowl. We've seen some fragile additions. They did something about the quarterback job at the time. They got uh, a great head coach. I know Andy Reid was brought on before. I mean, it's been great. And, of course, with personnel, with the way that they have brought in free agents and draft picks, and not only that, Keeping the Carl Peterson and Scott Pioli guys and developing them into even better players, this has been a very successful regime so far, and it's good to see. It really is. He also talked about Eric Berry and Antari Poe and said that he believes that the team can actually keep both players. Uh, Dorsey did say that he has had very positive conversations with Eric Berry's representative. So, uh, by the way, uh, he's referring to A3 Athletics, uh, which is Eric Berry's agency. So, that is great news. So, everything we're hearing so far from John Dorsey, good stuff. Uh, says that there are ways to keep both Dorsey and Berry. Uh, now, he didn't say what exactly, but if you do not pick up Nick Foles' option, and if you were to cut Jamal, hopefully, in my, I, me personally, I hope that doesn't happen. Because I truly think the Chiefs sure Jamal Charles's contract, then perhaps you could save anywhere from twelve to sixteen million dollars. In addition to cutting folds, that is. Now speaking of Jamal Charles, John Dorsey says he sees Jamal Charles being a chief for now. Jamal Charles is one of the, one of the finest running backs that's ever put on a Kansas City Chiefs uniform. 
What I admire most about Jamal Charles is right now, at this present, he is working like a Dickens to try to get himself ready, you know, for the 2017 season. Now, with that being said, you know, those are hypotheticals in February that, you know, we'll see what happens in March and April. But right now, you know, I see Jamal as a Kansas City Chiefs. That's how I see it. So as someone who's a big Jamal Charles fan, of course, uh, like many of you, but I think I'm kind of in the minority in this. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, perhaps a social media poll would uh, help answer this. But I personally, you know, look, I think that I liked everything I heard until he talked about the hypotheticals of of February. And then we'll see what happens in March and April. So, yeah, I wasn't really sure there. I think he alluded to a possible cap casualty, or maybe he brings in someone from the draft or through free agency. That kind of concerned me. So I wasn't a little sure there until the end of it. But then he, he said, oh, uh, but but I, I do see him as a chief for now. So I, I was a little thrown off by that towards the end of that audio cut you heard right there. Uh, listen, I'll, I'll say it again. With this year, I, I really feel like this was a disappointing year for Charkendrick West and Spencer Ware. I personally feel like Jamal Charles would be a great asset in 2017 for the Chiefs. The Chiefs were 26 and rushing. Very disappointing after the previous year. They were 8th, even with Jamal being absent for a majority of 2015. So Charkendrick West and Spencer Ware, they, I think they can, they can complement Charles. I think they're good backup Q, uh, running backs for to be behind Charles. I think the Chiefs need Charles to come back. I mean, they absolutely need him. He's been your most explosive offensive player the, the past few years under uh, under this uh, offense with Andy Reid. And look, I think Alex Smith has kind of gotten through because of good running back play for a majority of his time. When he had bad running back play this season... He had a, a stat line of 15 touchdowns and 8 interceptions and somehow made the Pro Bowl and won the AFC West. Now, listen, I, I'll get to Alex Smith in a moment because Dorsey commented on that as well. But for right now, listen, I, I think Charles, great running back, obviously. I think he can come back in his form after being away for, for the game from the game for a couple of, with the exception of a couple of games. Uh, but he's had plenty of time to really recover from all these knee injuries, and I think he can come back strong in 2017. And by the way, you are kind of stuck with Weston Ware because they each signed contract extensions last year, both of them making the same amount this year. They're going to make $1.15 million, and both will make more than or almost $2.1 million for 2018. So these are guys who are still going to be on the team. I think Spencer Ware is a great pass-catching running back. I, I, he, they both can do some things on the ground, but the things we saw in 2015, the great things we saw from Weston Ware, we did not see that in 2016. So I think 2017, you'd like to get Charles back, and hopefully he can be in his old form, which I think he can be, and you can use Weston Ware. As, I, I still think at the end of the day, and I said this early on in the, in the season before the preseason ended, I said, look, Charles doesn't have to be a down-for-down running back for me. First of all, there are no down-for-down running backs anymore in the NFL. There just aren't. And to me, you want you want to keep your players as fresh as possible, especially a guy like Jamal Charles. And, I mean, if we're being honest here, 
I, I don't mind if Jamal Charles, he, he's not a down-for-down guy, or, or at least playing a majority of the snaps. This is a guy who's going to need help from guys like Spencer Ware and Truck Request to compliment him, come in for uh, a couple of plays, and then keep him fresh. He's going to be 30 years, he turned 30 years old already uh, in late December, so he's going to be 31 during the 2017 season, the end of it at least. So for the Chiefs, this is a guy who, you know, who's going to be 31 at, at the end of the season. They want to keep him fresh because they know the talent's still there. He's still got the skill set to be a great running back. And if you have Weston Ware coming in for a couple of plays, I mean, let's just put it this way. Jamal Charles goes in there for three, four plays. Spencer Ware comes in for two plays. Then Charles is back out there for three or four plays. Then you bring back Chark Hendrick West. Whoever I didn't mention the first time. You get the idea. I think that's really the best way to operate with this offense. And I think that offense can improve from its 26th ranking and return to being the top 10 rushing offense that it was just like 2015. Final takeaway from the John Dorsey teleconference. He touched on... Alex Smith, and get ready, because I don't think you're going to like this. Everything that you've heard so far from John Dorsey, good stuff. Until this, he said Alex Smith is the starting quarterback for 2017. The quarterback position, we advanced to the next stage. Uh, you know, we, we've said all along he is the starter. I don't know what more you want to say. We are in a playoff team. He has led this franchise to three playoff uh, seasons out of four, which is pretty good in my eyes. All right, look, I know a lot of times football fans get defensive, especially when somebody in the media or a a hateful fan gets critical. I mean, these fans get defensive and they say, oh, why don't you go out there and play the game? I mean, there's a reason why they they don't hire you. First of all, I I think fans like like that are, are annoying as hell. I mean, if you listen, it doesn't take a genius. It doesn't take being a coach, a player, a general manager, or or a, an NFL owner to to know that Alex Smith is declining and he's not a good quarterback. Yes, he brought some good things with the Chiefs the past three years, but really, at this point, how far can you go with Alex Smith? I don't think he lost you the game against the Steelers. Not at all. Uh, of course, the Travis Kelsey drop, that was a big one right there. But to me, I think Alex Smith, he could have done more to help you win against the Steelers. He just didn't. So to me, I think at the end of the day, it, of course, you know we can go on with that game. The wide open miss to Tyreek Hill, the... I mean, he, he he threw to Jeremy Macklin when he was wide open, but the ball placement wasn't really at the right place that it should have been. So, sure, right. I mean, at the moment, who else do you have? Kirk Cousins is probably going to end up back in Washington, and you can't pay another quarterback. You're, I mean, Nick Foles, if his option gets picked up, he's already getting paid a lot of money. I truly don't think he's a starting quarterback. I know what everyone's going to say. He had a great season in Philadelphia. Uh, Andy Reid drafted him and uh, you know all this familiarity stuff. Listen, at some point, you've got to be honest here. If, if Nick Foles was that good, he would have started elsewhere by now. Instead, he's been switching teams a couple of times since that good year he had in Philly. 
It's kind of like Matt Flynn. Everyone, t- people keep still keep talking about that six touchdowns he had filling in for Aaron Rodgers. But there's a reason why he's not a starting quarterback right now. You can't judge someone off one great season. You, I mean, you can't praise them so much and and give them the the, the nod. Uh, look, uh, John Dorsey talked about how you made the playoffs three of the four years with Alex Smith. Let's be honest here. 2013, is Alex Smith the number one reason you made the playoffs that year? That ferocious defense did a lot that year. 2015, was Alex Smith the reason you made the playoffs? I, I would say part of it. I'd say he had a bigger hand that year than any other year in helping the Chiefs get to the playoffs. And I think Doug Peterson had a vital role in that as well when he took over the play calling duties. So overall, this year, by the way, yes, the Chiefs won the West, but and I, and I mentioned earlier the factors. Eric Berry had a big hand in, in helping the Chiefs make the playoffs and winning the AFC West, but ultimately, what did it come down to? Why did the Chiefs ultimately win the AFC West? It was because of Derek Carr's injury and needing help from the Broncos to beat the Raiders to make it into the, well, not to make it into the playoffs, but to win the division and get a bye week. So let's not act like, listen, when I say it doesn't take a GM or a head coach to know this, it doesn't, this isn't rocket science. Alex Smith is not the reason why the Chiefs won the AFC West. 15 touchdowns and 8 interceptions, I mean, that is, people who want to talk about misleading stats, tell me what's misleading about that. Tell me how he got to the Pro Bowl with those stats, because I'm still confused with that one right there. This is a team that, listen, and luck, is, luck always plays a big part in everything. I think Luck certainly played a role in the Super Bowl this weekend. The Chiefs have been lucky to win double-digit games three of the four years that they've made the playoffs with Alex Smith on the under center. Now, Smith, I actually have liked Smith the first three years. It's just this year, I think it's a sign that he's declining. This was a quarterback who, honestly, let me let me put it this way. I think this is the best way to really look at it. Tell me a game this year that Alex Smith won. A game where you can look at it and say, wow, Alex Smith is the reason the Chiefs won a game. I don't know if you can really say that this year about Alex Smith, who's, by the way, going to turn 33 in May. Maybe the Chargers game in week one, but that's really it. This was a player whose stat line with the Chiefs, and I'll, I'll, look, I'll, I'll go through the stats right now. He was brought in to not turn the football over. This year he had eight interceptions, which was the most he's had as a Chief. And he had 15 touchdowns, the fewest as a Chief. Now he did have five rushing touchdowns. That's the most he's had in a season, but... Uh, listen, you can get uh, any quarterback can get that many touchdowns, especially if you're if you have the ball at the one yard line. That, that that I think is a misleading stat. But going through each game that we saw from Alex Smith this year, each of the last four games, Alex Smith threw an interception. Now, each of the last five games, Alex Smith turned the football over. 
Now, ever since he missed that game against Jacksonville, he played how many games? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, so he missed that game against Jacksonville with, of course, a precautionary concussion deal there. But after he came back from the Jacksonville game, there were eight more games left. And in eight of those games, Alex Smith committed a turnover in seven of them. And get this. A guy who the Chiefs traded two second-round picks for because of his ability to protect the football very well. Alex Smith committed eight giveaways in the last eight games of the season. So that's one giveaway per game. And look, I know players aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But a turnover per game from your QB in each of the last eight games, and that's excluding the interception he had in the playoffs too. That's not good. That's not what Alex Smith was brought in here to do. His eight interceptions plus the four fumbles he lost which gives him a total of, of 12. And look, I, I've got to be even. He, he also had the five rushing touchdowns. So he had 20 touchdowns and 12 turnovers. I don't know if those are astounding numbers, if those are numbers that make me feel good about a quarterback. And I understand the West Coast offense, you're not going to get Tom Brady flashy numbers. Fine, but... Let's not, I mean, the, the point of this offense, this Andy Reid style of offense, is to protect the football. And Alex Smith did not protect the football. Committing 12 turnovers in the 15 games he played, that's not good. So, it's shocking to hear how highly they talk about Alex Smith in, in, this, in this teleconference. And I truly do think that at the end of the day, the Chiefs have got to look elsewhere for a quarterback. I don't think Alex Smith is the answer And certainly, I don't even think the most blind Chiefs homer believes that Alex Smith is a guy who you can win a Super Bowl with. Especially with the numbers that I just read. And I don't think he's going to be able to get the job done any any further. The Chiefs, uh, they they went to, they they lost in the wild card once. And And I don't think that was Alex Smith's fault, by all means. But... The 2015 season, they beat the Texans after a 1-5 and five start to the season, so he took you to the divisional round. But this year, when you were in the divisional round after a bye week in the postseason, you, you couldn't even get the job done. I mentioned what happened in the Steelers game, how I don't think he lost the game, but I don't think he put you in, in a great position to win it either. So I think Alex Smith, at the end of the day, you've got to do something to... Find someone else to to play that position. You really do. Because this, at the end of the day, with the talent you have all around on offense and possibly maybe even more through free agency and the draft, and I've talked about that in the last podcast, so be sure you check it out if you haven't. There's so much talent on this offense that if you don't have the right quarterback, this is a wasted opportunity to possibly go to a Super Bowl. You might be getting Eric Berry back. There, there, there seems to be some positive news about this Eric Berry contract negotiation, which is great. And John Dorsey feels good that Dontari Poe could return. So that's that, that makes you feel good. You have a Super Bowl-talented defense. You really do. I truly do think this is a Super Bowl-stout defense. And you also have a lot of talent, especially speed, on this offense. 
And if you have a quarterback in place, a good one, then this is also a Super Bowl offense. So why can't this Chiefs team give the Patriots a run for their money and not only bring that Lamar Hunt trophy back home, but also bring that Vince Lombardi trophy to Kansas City? If you have a quarterback, then you do it. You don't do it with Alex Smith. I just don't think it it happens. There's no way. Yeah, sure, you won 12 games and you won the AFC West. Alex Smith is far from the reason from it. And I read the numbers already. So to me, I'm shocked to hear that from John Dorsey. I get your general manager and your head coaches. They're not supposed to throw your players under the bus publicly. And when there's drama that's out there in the public with sports teams, it's bad and the media is all over it. The Chiefs are not allowing that, which is great. I'm fine with that. But listen, at least say something to the effect of, hey, look, we've got to see improvement from Alex Smith. Because with 15 touchdowns and 8 interceptions... You've got to see improvement from that, especially if you've got goals of winning the Super Bowl, which I assume all 32 teams do have that goal. At the end of the day, you've got to find the quarterback that can lead your offense to the promised land, and I just don't think you have that in Alex Smith. You truly don't. I've said the opposite before. I truly have liked Alex Smith, and I thought he could have taking the Chiefs to a Super Bowl after this season what he's done he's declining and I don't think you can go any further with Alex Smith as your quarterback which by the way I forgot to mention this during the Super Bowl Marcus Peters had a very interesting tweet and I was not sure if this was his analysis and I think a lot of people felt this way no one was sure if this was his analysis of the Super Bowl or if he just wrote a random tweet wanting to talk about his own team. But this was the tweet Marcus Peters put out there during the Super Bowl. This was while the Patriots were getting their butts kicked. Marcus Peters tweets, Playing this game to not make mistakes is dumb mistake. Is well, He meant to say the mistake, but he wrote DA. I'll read it in English, okay? Is the mistake that let them nuts hang blood. It's life you live and you learn. P.S. Dink and dunk football. Now, I think he was taking a shot at the Patriots, but that's also a perfect description of the Chiefs' offense. So even players on your own team know that a dink and dunk offense, the very conservative style of play you get from your quarterback, that doesn't win you football games. And that's why the Chiefs have to look elsewhere, and they've Got to make a strong effort to trade up in the draft to get a quarterback. Now, you guys know who I've been talking about. That's Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Kaiser, I think, would also be a good one. But I think Watson would be much better fitted for this football team. Let's go around the NFL. Alright, I mentioned the free agency class, uh, the, the QB free agency class. It's not a good one. And the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes will begin soon. ESPN recently came out with an article of the 34 NFL players who did not miss a snap this year. Chiefs, by the way, uh, Chiefs players included are offensive tackles Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. Now on top of the list is Drew Brees at 37 years old, very impressive, playing all 1,153 offensive snaps. Kirk Cousins, he never missed a snap, playing all 1,060 And again, like I said, he's the only viable quarterback 
that's going to be a, a free agent this year. Only viable non-rookie who could sign with another team. This is a guy who has a ton of leverage with the Redskins or another team that tries to sign him. My prediction, especially after what we saw with Brock Osweiler and what he got last year, the four years, $68 million deal and how QB contracts are just ridiculous. Here's my prediction. I said this on NoCoastBias.com in a bold prediction for 2017. I'm going to say Kirk Cousins gets five years, $75 million, and I think it's going to be with the Washington Redskins. New 49ers head coach and former Falcons OC Shanahan and GM John Lynch, they just signed their contracts with the franchise. I mentioned this already. I'll say it again. Uh, This might be the most challenging rebuilding process in NFL history. No pro bowlers. Wide open quarterback spot. Even if if they land the best possible quarterback, whether it's Romo, if healthy, or Cousins, or the best QB from the draft, this offense still has so much work to do. Even with a great offensive minded guy in Shanahan, I know patience is a lost virtue these days, but 49ers fans truly need to give Shanahan and Lynch at least three to four full years to pick this franchise back up. I, I, I think it's going to take some time, so you've got to be a little patient there. I, and I think with Shanahan and Lynch, I think they can get there, but it's going to take some time because of just how much this team has fell from Chip Kelly and... I don't even remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, Jim Tom Sula, the uh, guy who got so nervous in his first interview with a local TV uh, station in San Francisco. Those guys really hurt that franchise. And Shanahan and Lynch have a lot to do to pick up those damages. Time to go out of bounds. All right, you guys know me. I'm a big UFC fan, which, by the way, I do write for CagePages.com. You guys can check out more of my UFC and MMA commentary on there. I do have two UFC topics I want to touch on. First off, UFC welterweight Tyrone Woodley said last month that he is the worst-treated UFC champion. Some conflicts regarding his contract, uh, and, and, and part of it had to do with them wanting to face Steven Thompson in a rematch because their first match in New York City, which was a big event, That ended in a draw, and he wanted a different matchup, but the UFC wanted him to get that rematch. And there was also some race talk in there as well as to why he felt he was a worst-treated champion. Sure enough, what happens? UFC president Dana White, who is a huge New England Patriots fan, he took Tyrone Woodley to the Super Bowl. So, I guess there's one way to kiss and make up. (laughs) Um, I mean, Tyron Woodley, I don't know who he's a fan of. He is a St. Louis guy. He's from St. Louis. I don't know if he's still a loyal Rams fan or what the what the case is, but he got to go to the Super Bowl. And he's, by the way, going to have that rematch with, uh, with Stephen Thompson later this year. So um, I, I guess that's one way. Hey, look, if you're mad, we apologize. I'll take you to the Super Bowl. That's got to be a fair way to, to accept an apology. Why not? By the way... For those who aren't UFC fans, I know the casuals may not know the names, but Michael Bisping, who's the middleweight champion, he is expected to face Yoel Romero, uh, who is from Cuba. And Michael Bisping has taken some so- shots at uh, at uh, Romero, saying that he, he was on steroids and that even though it was a year ago, I guess Bisping was nervous because he has to defend his title against him and that he read an article from a doctor where even if you were on steroids more than a year ago, it's still in your system for a while. It takes a while to get rid of. So Bisping's not too happy that he has to face a guy who was on steroids uh, a year ago. 
Now, here's the thing. Uh, Michael Bisping recently had knee surgery. Torn meniscus, had that taken care of. And he uh, he recently promoted a GoFundMe account for, uh, for a kid. His former coach has a kid with cancer, and he, he was trying to promote the GoFundMe account, which I, I think is great. That's awesome. Now, I do think Yoel Romero kind of crossed the line here because... Romero, which by the way, let me say this, for those who aren't UFC fans, Bisping is a huge trash talker. This guy will try to get under your skin any way he can. Michael Bisping is kind of getting beat in his own game. Romero, he opened a GoFundMe account saying that the money they donated here will go to Michael Bisping's health bill to pay for the surgery that he just had. Now look, obviously a UFC fighter like Bisping, he can pay for his own surgery, of course, in one payment. But still, the the trash talk right there, I I like that. That's pretty original to create a GoFundMe account. By the way, this got taken to another level on Thursday. Michael Bisping hosts his own radio show on Sirius XM uh, Rush, which is the the combat channel for pro, pro wrestling and mixed martial arts. Yoel Romero... And Michael Bisping were on a Twitter war right before it was time for Bisping to go on air. And Bisping wrote a tweet saying, Hey, look, I'm doing my radio show. I'm not going to fight with you. Plus, I know it's your social media intern who is who is writing all your tweets because it's in perfect English. Romero can't speak perfect English. So Ro- Romero responded... Uh, Bisping said, If you want to talk, call my radio show. Here's the number. Romero responded and said, I'm on hold. It was Romero, and they went at it on the radio. It was great stuff. If you have the SiriusXM uh, subscription, you've got to check it out. If not, I know uh, SiriusXM does put some of their segments out there for free, so I'll tweet it on my link. You've got to check it out. It's hilarious radio between two UFC fighters who are about to brawl soon. Uh, Last thing, the Royals. I was a little nervous. I said this before, but I'm kind of feeling excited for the Royals this season. Got players coming back from injury. They signed Brandon Moss, the first baseman and outfielder who's likely to be your DH. Also added Jason Hamill to your pitching rotation, which got potential with Danny Duffy as the ace coming off the best year he's had. And I think he's going to be in the running for a Cy Young Award. You've also got Jason Vargas coming back. Ian Kennedy showed some flashes. And if he can be consistent, this is going to be a strong pitching rotation. It's going to be phenomenal. And I think Soria can even shake off the bad year he had last year. Listen, let's not forget, Soria has been one of the more dominant closers we've seen the past 10 years, whether it was with Kansas City in his first stint or in his second stint. You should have a much better offense with a hel- with everyone healthy coming back, plus the additions of guys like Moss and Orhe Solar on the offensive side. I think this is going to be a very exciting season for the Royals. I'm actually feeling, feeling a lot better than I did last month. Of course, you would have loved to have Jordano Ventura, Unfortunately, you know, that's not going to be the case, but this is still a team that has a lot of potential to go back to the World Series. I certainly do think so. Time to throw some penalty flags. All right, as you may remember earlier in the podcast at the beginning, actually, I, I teased that you know, there are just some stupid people out there. Tom Brady's Super Bowl jersey was stolen after the game, and a guy on social media, Patriots fan, posts a picture of himself with a Tom Brady Super Bowl jersey. Looks like it's a it's an authentic worn jersey. 
Uh, it's got some dirt on it. He got sacked a lot, so it, it could be his. The guy posted a picture of himself on Twitter and claimed he stole it. You are an idiot. Listen, even if you didn't really steal it, you just put yourself out in the public eye. There's a, a, a reward that they will hand out to whoever can give uh, any tips if it leads to the jersey. Uh, there's a serious investigation going on for this. And the, you should not joke and say that you did this. It, that's asinine. Uh, terrible. I don't know who would even do that. Why is that funny? Why would you do that? Speaking of Tom Brady, he is going to be doing a private autograph signing. And he is charging $1,000 per autograph. An extra $400 if you want him to write... Five-time Super Bowl champs. Okay, easy. You are you don't need money. I don't know what this guy needs money for. He's made so much money from the Patriots playing football. He's made a lot of money from endorsements and commercials. He's married to a supermodel. I mean, what what money does he need at this point in his life? Even his wife begged him to retire. Like, look, they have the money. They're fine. Why do you need to... Why do you need people to hand you a thousand dollars or an extra four hundred for an autograph and to potentially inscribe that you're a five-time Super Bowl champion? This is when you know some people take their big success way too far. Uh, come on, there are kids who look up to you. Don't demand their money. That's ridiculous. Your fans are already doing enough for you, paying for those expensive jerseys and tickets. Uh, 84 Lumber, they had a shortened commercial in the Super Bowl, and at the end of their commercial, they asked viewers to go onto their website to see the entire story. So that way people can know what this commercial is about, because on TV, no one had any idea what the hell this was. Their website crashed during the Super Bowl. So for a 60-second spot, which is $10 million, 30 seconds is, is $5 million, they spent $10 million for a one-minute commercial... And asking people to go on their website, their website doesn't even work. Not the best way to spend $10 million. Uh, You've got to be prepared for this. Uh, And it just went horribly wrong for this company. 84 Lumber. That's the company. Alright, final flag. And this one really bothers me. Uh, A high school sophomore named LaMelo Ball. That's a cool last name for a basketball player. LaMelo Ball, high school basketball player, scored 92 points in a game. He's already committed to UCLA. He stood at midcourt the entire time while his uh, while his team was on defense. And he just wanted the easy outlet pass so he can go for the easy bucket or layup. This is not impressive to me. I saw the highlights after hearing about the 92 points. And I was like, man, I got to see this. The guy's standing at midcourt the entire time while his team is on defense. And he just gets the outlet pass. Uh, And by the way, his team won by a score of 146 to 123. They beat a high school team that's currently 16 and 17. You lost to a team. uh, Pardon me. You didn't lose to them. You allowed 123 points because your fifth player is not playing defense with you. Anyone can score 123 points if you're playing five on five versus four defense. So that kid scoring 92 points, good luck doing that in college, dude. Uh, you, you're just not going to get away with that in, in, in the college game. 
uh, plays for Chino Hills High School, which is ranked number one in California and in the nation. Uh, so obviously some impressive basketball there at that program. But look, to score 92 points and to stand at midcourt or still be on the other side of the court, that's nothing impressive. I, I, if I did that, I could also score 92 points. Maybe not 92, maybe 91, maybe a little less than that, maybe 80. But that's nothing impressive. Go on defense. Listen, coaches love when you can play defense too. And to me, I hate to judge off one a video highlight I saw, but I, I'm going to take a guess and say this kid can't play defense. And coaches want to see you not just score, they want to see you play defense. So, not sure I'm too impressed with uh, Mr. Ball's 92 points. That came out a little weird, but that's okay. <laughs> That'll do it for this edition of the Chiefstone Podcast. Appreciate you guys all the support this year. Another successful season of the Chiefstone Podcast podcast appreciate you guys listening as always please subscribe to the podcast on itunes hit the subscribe button you guys can also like my facebook page facebook.com slash farzine vesugian you can follow me on twitter at farzine 21 this is going to be the last podcast for a couple of weeks going to take a bit of a vacation here from the podcasting world so this is probably one of the longer podcasts we've ever done so hopefully it's long enough that you can finish it within the next you know, however long you want to take. Maybe you, you want to set this up in two or three different settings so you can listen to the podcast. I know some people do that, and that's that's really what I do with podcasts, especially, especially longer ones. Uh, so this is a longer podcast. I'm going to be away for a little bit, so you'll have some time. Uh, if you haven't listened to the past podcast, I've talked about what the Chiefs should do this offseason in terms of players they should go after in free agency and the draft. So be sure you check out some of the last, uh, some of the recent podcasts and what I think the Chiefs should do when it comes to changing the quarterback or going after other players at other positions, again, through free agency and the draft this offseason. Once again, I'm Farzim Vesugian. Thank you guys, as always, listening to the podcast. Subscribe, get on the social media pages. I'll still be posting on social media so we can interact on there during my vacation. Until then, enjoy the offseason. I'll be watching some Walking Dead on Sundays. That'll be coming back. That'll be fun to watch. Take care. Talk to you guys in a couple weeks.